Welcome back to the Poor Pearls Almanac. I'm Andy and your host for yet another episode. Today we're talking with some friends in North Carolina, Max and Chloe from Liberation Tools. The concept behind Liberation Tools is simple. Provide high quality tools for people who traditionally don't have tools designed for their needs. People that aren't traditional farmers in the way we think of farmers today. We tend to forget the idea of tools off the shelf is a relatively new concept, and that means they're not really designed to work for your body size and shape, nor are they really designed to be passed down through generations. We talk a bit about what it means to create heirloom tools and what exactly is liberatory about that concept. If you enjoy this conversation, check them out on Instagram or go buy some tools from them where your purchase also funds free tools for marginalized people. I'm looking forward to seeing their project grow, and we'll definitely be following up with Max and Chloe in the future. Hey guys, thanks so much for coming on. For our audience that aren't familiar with your project, could you introduce yourself? Yeah, my name is Chloe, and I'm the co-creator of Liberation Tools. And I'm Max, and I'm also a co-creator. Thanks for having us, Andy. Awesome. Thanks so much for uh, taking some time. What you guys are doing is really cool. Before we get into, I guess, the, the actual work you guys are doing, where did the idea that something like this needed to exist really come from? Well, I am a Black farmer. I've been farming for about 11 years, and there are a lot of challenges that come with being a farmer of color and a Black farmer. Um, there's a lot of barriers in the way of Black farmers. There's a lot of systematic oppression and there's a lot of historical oppression that has prevented us from getting the land access and workers justice and resources and education that we need to thrive um, and a lot standing directly in our way um, of, of course like USDA and other programs that are really gatekeepers and have in the past intentionally prevented black farmers from getting same access to loans and other things that um, white farmers have had access to. And so that's been part of just part of my experience uh, as a black farmer. And so this was kind of a way to merge our two skill sets as well as work through um, in, in a small way, work through some of the justice issues and one of the many barriers that's facing farmers of color. Yeah, as a, as a blacksmith um, and a tool maker, there's not like so many avenues of um, surviving within this capitalist hellscape. The largest probably being making knives, you know, for like, rich dudes who have a whole room full of knives and never use any of them. <laughs> and so, and don't get me wrong, I've, I've done my fair share of that. And I've been able to do some other tool making for like communities that are actually butchering their own animals and stuff like that. But I was really trying to figure out how to like do what I'm passionate about and use the skills that I have and, and enjoy using for a cause that I actually care about. And so, yeah, this was kind of, that was kind of how this idea was born between us. Yeah, and, and Liberation Tools as an idea started for us during lockdown in the pandemic in 2020, um, when we had a little bit more free time on our hands and kind of had a little bit more space to be thinking about what we wanted to do and how we wanted to work. 
I have worked as uh, as a food justice worker. I have worked in the nonprofit sector. I still do uh, work in the nonprofit sector uh, a lot, and I've seen a lot of struggles as a as a small entity within within that system within the nonprofit industrial complex. And we wanted a way to be offering tools for free to farmers and land stewards of color, but we didn't want to be stuck in the grant writing processes and all that, um, which I have to do for, for other work, other food work that I do. And that's why we decided to do, to sell our tools to people who can't afford them. And that's why we started the process of selling tools for twice the cost of production so that for every tool sold, one is given away for free to farmers of colors, which is our ultimate goal. This whole idea of first making tools that are made to be basically generational, you could say, I guess, uh, is really, I guess, inspiring because it is something that I think, especially folks like us that are thinking longer term, more sustainably, you know, it's not about products that you can, you know, recycle. It's about things that'll be generational that you can pass on. And uh, that can be often impossible to find or prohibitively expensive. And um, I, I did take a look at what you guys are offering right now. And it's expensive, but like it's not out of the scope of what somebody could afford. And I think that's really cool, especially for some that's handmade. If you look for anything that's handcrafted, they just prices are insane. Mm -hmm. So to be able to do what you guys are doing and uh, compete in that sense is pretty cool. So could you tell me a little bit about the first tool that you guys decided to uh, design and where that kind of came from? Yeah, a large part of it was just like, having these uh, materials having some old disc plows that just like were lying around at my parents house my parents are also gardening farming folk so we had these materials and um it was just kind of like this is what we have right now we want to get started we want to like start small and just kind of test this out and so this is an easy way to use what we have um, and see if this concept can even work and so the discs that we had were already a really nice shape for this kind of hand hoe that ultimately was designed and the curved edge, you know, I, I thought was really nice for kind of cutting into soil. And of course, the fact that it's already steel that is an alloy that is specifically made and heat treated for um, working in the soil and, and, you know, hitting rocks makes it very efficient to use. Essentially, all I did was cut it up into pieces and drill holes into it. I didn't have to heat it and reheat treat it or anything like that, uh, which really saves on time and effort. And then, you know, also using forging techniques to design ways to attach things is a big part of the whole idea, I think, because, of course, Tools have been generational for the vast majority of, of human existence. This like tools that are just cheaply, quickly made, spot welded together and break within a, a season is entirely new. Um, um, and so just like dipping back into using forging techniques to like and riveting things together and just like this stuff that in my mind is kind of obvious as far as like making something that's actually going to last, I think is also, is also more fun to do. <laughs> I think as a, as a consumer, I think of it as 
it creates more of a relationship between myself and the tool and the person who's making it. And um, there's a sense of community that comes through that, that you don't get with the tool that you know, even if you, you know, if you buy something that's considered good quality, chances are it's only going to last maybe five or 10 years for the Mm -hmm. most part. And the idea that like those things we try to attach ourselves to, we think of as this is this high quality thing. It represents my values and so on and so forth, but it still doesn't have that personal relationship that someone that actually made it and whether it's you know within a town or two or whatever, there, there's more to it than just the tool itself at that point. I think that's something we're really lacking as communities um, as we try to figure out what our communities really are. Yeah. And it's something that we're not used to, too. You know, when it comes to a a generational tool, there's education that needs to be done, you know, because these tools are are meant to be resharpened. They're meant to be re-oiled. They're meant to be able to be rehandled. All of that is, is part of what it means to have a tool that lasts a lifetime. And, and that's not something that we're accustomed to. Yeah, we've kind of forgotten that humans are supposed to do maintenance. Like we're not very good at that because everything is so disposable. There's a lot of things I don't think people even realize would last significantly longer with some basic maintenance that they just assume you throw away when you're done with it. And that's like, it's wild when you, you know, historically speaking, the way we live today is going to be this infinitely small blip in the, you know, the course of human history. Mm -hmm. Hopefully there's a lot of time after this. But there's this blip where for some reason we just bought a bunch of the same thing repeatedly and kept just throwing it out and wasting all these minerals and energy and all of these different things. Yeah, I hope there's a society to uh, shit talk us <laughs> because there's going to be plenty of material available. Yeah. Lord knows our ancestors are looking at us like, what the hell are you guys doing? But yeah, that the aspect of it is is scary putting tools out that like, could get rusty right and people will just be like oh this is this now is broken and it doesn't work anymore (laughs) um but you know in this we've got a pretty good community of like people who use cast irons now and i'm hoping that that kind of translates over yeah that's awesome so you've obviously been making these for a little while now are you trying to get in front of like a lot of the maintenance component and like getting people educated on what it truly means to have like a an heirloom tool because like i said and i think we, we understand even like if, we, if we're thinking like I'm buying this for life, I'm going to pass it down, I should maintain it. I still don't know what that means. Mm-hmm. I, I know I should, but I don't know what that means. So like, is there an educational component that you guys are providing with this, with these tools? Yeah, there's a, you know, it's fairly minor, but on the, on the tags of the tools, it says, you know, if, if you get rust, brush it with some steel wool or like some um, sandpaper or whatever you have that's a little bit abrasive and oil it. It's pretty much about oiling. Just mm-hmm. oil your stuff. Like that's the cool thing about, you know, if you actually use it often too, then the, the ground itself will do the abrading and keep the rust off and your hand will oil the handle at least, you know. Um, I always love looking yeah. at door handles and other stuff that's just actually getting used all the time and how different of a finish it has um, just from even our hands are sandpaper too. They're like thousands of grit sandpaper and also oiling at the same time. They're really excellent finishing devices. Yeah, that's cool. You know, I never really thought about it, but now that you say using it also uh, keeps the rust off, like I'm thinking about like when I split wood and like I'll 
sometimes forget my axe outside, but it's like, yeah, it's going to be, you know, warm out, whatever. I'm out with the kids and then I go inside with them and I'll come out and there's just like this, the lightest bit of rust on it. And then I'll be like, oh yeah, when I'm done, I'll, I'll clean it up. And then I look at it when I'm done, it's always gone, but mm-hmm. it, it makes sense now that you say that. Yeah. You're designing these tools with the the thought of specific farmers. Has there been any input on like what you guys are going to do in the future from the community that's interested in utilizing these tools? Yeah, so that's that's my job. <laughs> and <laughs> as a farmer, it's really fun to talk to other farmers and get nerdy about tools. Um, and we have, for our farmers of color, we have like a questionnaire online, like a Google form, essentially, that folks can fill out. And that, you know, asks, like, what other tools do you want to see? What tools are hard to access for you? And I've had a lot of these great conversations, too, just talking or writing with um, to other farmers. And there's there's a lot of things that come up. Hori Horis are probably the next thing we're going to make because everybody loves them. Uh, for people that don't know what that is, could you describe it? Yeah, um, it's also known as a Japanese weeding knife. Um, and it is kind of a uh, halfway between like a hand trowel and a knife it has usually it has it's sh- a bit sharp it's a bit curved hand single hand tool um often has one serrated edge it's great for weeding it's great for digging roots um if you, for harvesting roots that kind of thing and and planting it's a tool i use a lot um, so this is one that a lot of folks love, and it's probably the next thing that we're going to make. But we're also looking at, of course, making bigger tools um, as we establish ourselves. Uh, broad forks are one that a lot of people have mentioned because they're really expensive. Um, they're already really expensive uh, and and really the, the price that we can make at... Um, it gets closer to what regular just generic sales are for a, for a big tool like that, because those can cost a couple hundred dollars um, and not be super high quality just because they're not super available. Uh, and there's not small scale sustainable farmers who aren't using a plow and are trying to do that kind of thing by hand and not flip their soil completely over uh, for the benefit of of the soil and the soil microbes and what have you, soil health are not prioritized in the market. So it's things like that. And then just talking with with farmers, especially with marginalized farmers about other aspects of tools. One thing that has come up is sizing. So the size of most tools, especially this gets into when you're using larger tools, is for white cis man and i'm talking to farmers uh, of all genders and races and sizes and talking to folks who are like i'm four foot eleven like all these tools are huge for me you know (laughs) um and thinking about afab people thinking about shorter people um and just yeah general access that way is another another component of that is easy to do when you're hand forging tools. It's not necessarily harder to make a smaller tool, but doesn't work on a big manufacturing line to make a lot of sizes. Yeah, and that's so weird because I think because we used to have relationships with our blacksmiths as farmers, you didn't have to say it was size to you as you were getting this because it was designed to fit to you. 
Uh, and the idea of like off the shelf tools is just relatively like new and um, like it doesn't make a lot of sense. And it's not surprising that so many people have so many physical ailments so young that work in you know any general labor because oh, yeah. like you said, nothing is designed and we're, we've become so displaced from this idea that things should be designed for us that the idea that they would be seems weird. Absolutely. And you're like, oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Like why why would I use the same shovel as someone who's a foot taller than me? Like, it doesn't make any sense. Absolutely. Yeah. We are very much, you know, in, in agriculture, we're very much accustomed to being like, this is going to wear out my body. That's just what it is. And yeah. the que- uh, that's a good question of, of why. why. Why do we have to accept that? Why is that how it has to be? Um, and how can instead we be thinking about how this is going to prolong our health, how like being people who are active and being outdoors and grounding in the soil and working with our bodies is better for us than sitting in front of a computer all day if it is done in ways that that are focused on us as workers and and on our health yeah because people have farmed for at least 10,000 years and they you know despite what the average mortality rate might present people are doing it into their 60s and 70s so why can they have done it historically when we hit 30 and we have back issues and all, you know, all these other issues that if we were to exist, like not in a society with medicine that could take care of those issues, we wouldn't survive. No other animal has that problem. So like, what, what are we doing wrong here? Mm-hmm. Um, now, for people that are inter- like think this is a really cool idea, maybe people that are blacksmiths or you know, work in farming and see the same issue. Do you think it's possible for people to do what you guys are doing or would it make more sense to reach out to you and partner with you? Um, Do you have any thoughts on that? I support both. I think that, you know, we we're working on slow manufacturing. What we do is really slow and that's odd for people. You know, people come to us and like, I want a tool. I want it now. And we're like, thank you for supporting us. And we can't get you a tool right now because we're, we're slow and we, we work slowly and both of us do other things as well. Um, and so I think there's definitely room for collaboration, but there's also room for this to happen all over, you know, like every town, every village should have a blacksmith, right? Um, it's a really important skill set. And what we are focusing on Western North Carolina and and some beyond, but if we can all focus more regionally, I think that that is super beneficial. But we of course are excited to work and collaborate with other folks, especially, you know, yeah, farmers, blacksmiths. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, moving at the speed of community is is generally what's most important right now. I think that's one of the most important lessons, at least for me personally. As far as other people like doing similar stuff, absolutely. I mean, one of the things that excited me most about this was being like, oh yeah, if we can prove that this works, like this do- this doesn't just have to be a means of um, redistributing ill-begotten wealth to black and brown people that's just based in farming, right? It This could be for many other things this could be a mode of forcing that redistribution in a way, right? Of being like, hey, this product is so good that you want it, you really want it. And to get it, you have to acknowledge that if you have privileges and, or you have this accumulated wealth, whether it be from, 
your history, your parents or their parents or whatever, but it's time to redistribute that and it's time to create the society that we actually want to live in where everybody is comfortable and fed and healthy and happy. So yeah, I mean, I would love to see a similar means of redistributing wealth pop up with other things that aren't even related to blacksmithing and farming. Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Poor Pearls Almanac. This is Andy reminding you that if you're looking for more content outside of the scope of the podcast or sources, recommended readings, or ways to support us, you can find that at poorpearls.com. Further, we've expanded our delivery into video content on our YouTube channel, where we're able to show step-by-step how to do many of the processes that we talk about within the podcast. We have also started a Twitch channel where we platform various folks on skills from DIY mushroom production to the various methods to keep land out of the hands of developers. Again, all this can be found at poorproles.com, and we look forward to seeing you over there. Uh, you brought up a, a really good point about this idea of like, it's really centered in this the idea of community. I'm really interested if you feel like you are getting support from the community in, in this project or... Uh, like, you know, I think a lot of we get caught up on like social media and on the internet, like where we think of community as just like people who think who are politically similar to ourselves. But like, that's usually not the case. Most people don't live in a community that looks looks and thinks the same way as we do. So I was wondering if you'd had any inroads into the community or if this has been really an interesting opportunity to find common ground with people that have values and things like quality. I don't think that we would have felt like we could start this project without the community connections that we had at the time. And and they're always building from there. I really appreciate how just in this beginning phase, it's been very community driven. Like we know a large percentage of the people who we've given tools to, you know, like I've personally hugged many of them, which is great. Um, That's how it should be um, in my opinion. And our, our goal is not to like grow massive and be some kind of huge production company, right? It's always been about community and small-scale agriculture and supporting the sustainability and the sovereignty of black and brown communities. Yeah, we've built a lot of community around this, but but also had a really strong community to start. And as a farmer of color, in an area where there aren't a lot of farmers of color. It has been in the past kind of isolating for me in this area, in the, in the Asheville area. But I've also built a lot of relationships and it's a small enough community where we do know each other. And um, there was a, I think there was a phase early in this project when we were thinking about it, very deep in in lockdown, <laughs> COVID lockdown, where I was like, are, how are we going to find enough people to even do this, like to, to give all these tools away? That is not a problem <laughs> at all. And I think it's important for anyone who's thinking about this model or a similar model that it be community driven because it can really be easy if it's not, if you're not giving to people that you know and you're not in relationship with folks, it can be really easy to start gatekeeping the process of who gets tools and who doesn't, you know, starting to 
make it like a really long process or a long application process. Well, how do you prove that you're the person that deserves this tool, all that? And um, well, we do have a little process. We do have like um, a sheet that we ask people to fill out um, with a little bit of information. It's really relational more than anything else. It's about uh, like, either I know you or or I know you through we always ask um, farmers who receive tools like hey is there anyone else you know who might want to receive tools as well um, and building out that way in a way that is based on trust and based on relationship feels a lot better and is a lot more equitable than a gatekeeping process it involves jumping through hoops to access things. That's that's obviously the point, right? The point is that for farmers and land stewards on the margins, this is a way to make things easier and more accessible. I think that if it's not deeply focused on community, it could be easy to lose sight of that and make it a different gatekeeping process where it may not be money, but it may be writing or communication skills or whatever time <laughs> just that yeah. it would take to to prove that you're a person that deserves this and it's not about we're, n we're not trying to be the people who decide oh do you deserve this or do you not we're just trying to be people who make this accessible and and make it available to people yeah i really like the idea of having to be in relation with people in your community and i think it's something we really struggle with across the spectrum just because we live in an age of social media. We live in an age of hyper-partisanship because of social media. We live in a time where COVID, uh, there's no, this the idea of like public spaces is a political act in a lot of ways. And the way we relate to that public space is, do you wear a mask? Do you keep certain distances? Do you only go for things you need? All these end up being these political decisions instead of just existing in our community that can dehumanize one another. Uh, from whatever spectrum or place on the pol political spectrum you might exist and trying to find ways to, you know, and, and we can make the argument that everything is political and that's kind of true, but also just being like, this is about, you know, equitability and getting this tool to people, someone who needs it because you're in my community and I care about the people in my community and not because we think the same way about X, Y, Z. And there's something really beautiful that exists, not just in that, but in trying to frame a, a community around that kind of concept. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's just, I, I think it's really cool that what you guys are doing. And when I think about like, how do you build inroads into community? This to me seems like a really good way to do it. Where would you like to see this project in terms of how it, you know, what is it producing? How is it tied into a community? Are you looking to integrate it more through other um, venues? Because, you know, you've we, you've brought up this idea of like maintenance. That, that is its own thing in terms of you could, you know, do basic training on maintenance, especially as you roll out different tools that might have different requirements. I know the, um, the tool you have right now is very simple, but once you start getting into some of the other stuff, it might be a little bit more complicated. So do, so do you see this growing as being more than just a couple of hand tools or being more embedded in the farming community or any of those types of things? Yeah, so I'm always gonna be a farmer. That's that's my number one thing. And, and this is a, a passion project, but I'm always going to be farming in addition to this. Um, and so I do want it to be deeply embedded in the community um, that, that I work in. And 
I work at Southside Community Farm predominantly, which is a small urban farm in a black neighborhood. And so I am always connecting with folks over agriculture. I'm always, my goal is always to bring more people, especially black people and other people of color into the fold of, of growing and gardening. And this is just another aspect of doing that. Uh, my community is always growing and are, as it's exciting to see Liberation Tools as an avenue of also getting to know more small-scale farmers, more farmers of color. And so that's always really exciting. And I, I expect that to grow. And I, I, I know that we're, we're going to do more, more tools and more in-depth tools for sure. That's definitely part of the goal. But I also want, would like it to be more... Um, educational you know more more talking about how how do we fix our tools how do we farm you know do more more stuff on like how do we use these tools you know that's another aspect of accessibility there are people who are interested in land stewardship um especially people of color who are gatekept and and not given good access to well, how do I, I want to steward the land, how do I do it? Um, and that shows up in a, a lot of aspects of my work, and this definitely can be one of them, and one, one route to education, not just education, but joy and enthusiasm about being with the land. So I've actually done a tool repair workshop before, and I'm uh, going to, I'm scheduled to do another one, so... And that, while that wasn't, I guess, specifically through Liberation Tools, I just, it's just kind of a name that is stuck to a nonprofit structure that allows us to hopefully not have to pay as much taxes. <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's something that I would love to keep doing and expanding on um, information wise, you know, helping people fix the tools that they have and helping them gain the knowledge to maintain and fix their own tools, as well as yeah, creating, helping people learn how to create their own tools even. And, and kind, of, kind of going back to your question about like collaboration, we've done some, some talking about this. And I think as we get more experience and more time into this, I hope to get better systems in place for like, hey, someone in a different state or someone who doesn't live near us wants to like weld up some tools of their own and like, we can send them information on how to do that or even jigs on how to that, that make it easy to quickly create like a batch of tools um, because it's really all about jigs and the large majority of what I do is creating the tools used to create the tools. And so, and that's what makes it possible to do them in, in batches um, and kind of get a much quicker process uh, instead of like doing one offs. Yeah. That's somewhere I see it leading in the future is um, being kind of like, a distribution network for not only tools but like the information and stepping back always i'm always stepping back to what's the tool used to make that tool okay what was the tool used to make that tool um how to distribute tools used for making garden tools and other necessities um to people just strengthening and expanding networks is is what i see in our future with these jigs uh i don't know anything really about blacksmithing other than you hit stuff and you get it really hot. So when you're talking about jigs, is, the way around. Oh, you yeah. get it really hot uh, and then you hit it. <laughs> yeah, get it hot. And then you hit it. Um, 
so this like you're talking about jigs is is that stuff that like is it something you would design and then share that design or is it something you could 3d print or is that like something you have to actually like heat up and hit to make a to make a mold and then do it to other stuff yeah it could be could be either i mean i know there's people 3d printing with metals yeah there's also people 3d printing with woods and stuff you can some jigs could be made out of wood even for some um some things but yeah a, a lot of it it's largely forging and fabricating what i do so there's some heating and and hitting with hammers and there's also welding often and so it's really it's really about designing a jig that is going to create the shape that you want to create in a way that can be like very easy and therefore very quick and efficient and so it looks really different depending on what you're what tool you're trying to make like for a hori hori i'll be i'll forge um a jig that's just like the curvature of the blade so that I can press all the blades into it and get that curvature really quickly and easily um, instead of like fiddling with it on the horn of an anvil with each one. But for say broad fork, where it's pretty much just welded together, there'll be one jig for curving um, the tines, but mostly the tools are just welded. So then the jig would look kind of like a platform that holds all the pieces in place uh, in the right spot. So you can just put them in place really quickly and you don't have to be measuring everything and putting magnets on everything to line it up. Um, but it's more like a, a clamping system, I guess, for just clamping all the pieces, all the loose pieces in place and then just welding it all together. Either of those things, depending on what other people's skill sets are, either of those things could be, the designs could be shared and they could be created by others or I could make jigs and send them to other people. Um, like if somebody has a welder but doesn't have forging experience or something and, and they need um, a tool to set stuff up but they don't know how to make it themselves, that could be somewhere to go with it. Absolutely. There's a lot of things you could do. And I'm just thinking about like all the people I know that are really into 3D printing yeah. that might not have any you know blacksmithing experience, but they want to contribute to this. Uh -huh. uh, I, I, th I think there's a lot of ways that if 3D printing can be uh, leveraged in some capacity could offer a lot of opportunities. Yeah. For folks that want to either buy tools or support you guys or get involved, where could they find your work or where can they reach out to you? Yeah. So um, we, you can find us uh, liberation tools on Facebook, liberation underscore tools on Instagram and TikTok, And then our website right now is, soulandsoilproject.org slash liberation hyphen tools. Um, so those are some ways online that you can find us. Probably Instagram and Facebook are where we are the most and you can reach out to us. We also have an email address. If you are needing to shoot us an email, that's liberationtoolsproject at gmail.com. So those are some ways to find us. As far as the batch of tools that we have for sale, I'm actually not positive if they've all been sold yet or not, but we were distributing them through uh, Art Garden, which is an art gallery in the area that we have deep relationship with, and we gave them our first batch of tools to sell. And so they were kind of just expecting them to like sell them on, on site, and they, they're awesome over there, and they just like went through did all the work to um add an online 
sales aspect to this, which is something that we've been meaning to do and know that, you know, it's going to be necessary, but you can go to artgardenavl.com and that's their website, buy all their stuff. They're great. But there might be some of our hand hose available for sale on that website as well. And, and if this, there aren't, if there aren't, there will be again. Yes, we um, <laughs> just got some materials today, actually, to make another batch, larger batch of hand hose. Yeah, some of them at least will be available on that website. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much. I'm definitely looking forward to seeing what else you guys are making. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Awesome. Yeah, thanks thank for having us on. We love your memes. <laughs> <laughs> thank you.